Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot co. And be sure to add the Millennial to Millionaire podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Hello and welcome to the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. As always, this is your host, Paris Grant, coming to you with everything financial. On my last episode, I featured Christopher Polion, the founder of Brains, a revolutionary new way to invest, the link of which is in the bio. And in the episode, he talked about what it's like to develop a business and develop this app and the process that he took. And it got me thinking to myself that finance and business are obviously very much intertwined. They're not the same thing, but they are very much intertwined. And I've had the opportunity to speak with a lot of amazing business leaders on the podcast. And I think that there's a lot that we can glean from the way that they approach business, approach life, and apply it to our own selves. On this episode, I am interviewing Carl Allen of Dealmaker Wealth Society. Now, Carl Allen is like the quintessential businessman. He's been doing deals totaling almost $50 billion. He's buying businesses and different countries, just living life literally on a million. He's had the time to make lots of connections over a career that's spanning almost three decades. That's older than I even am. And he's still going, going strong. And on this episode, he talks to us about how he got started, exactly what he does and how he does it. Now, I know that there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there listening to the show. I know there's people here who might dream of having their own business one day. And I think that when it comes to becoming a millionaire, the three most likely ways you'll become a millionaire will either be from a crazy high paying job, investing or starting a business. This podcast literally covers all of those. So I'm actually doing a series on the different business leaders or different people that I've interviewed that can help you in a business sense and just help you in a life sense, because the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So if they're able to live life on a million in business, that means that they live life in a million on finances and relationships. And that's why I do this show. So please take a listen. He's got an amazing voice. He's from the UK and he shares a lot of wisdom. I hope you get a lot of value from this and everything that he mentions will be in the bio. Please make sure to subscribe if you have not already. Please make sure to leave ratings and reviews so I can know how I'm doing. I go around telling people this is the best personal finance podcast in the world, but Ultimately, it's up to you to decide, not me. So let me know what I could be doing better or let me know what I'm doing right. But either way, I hope that you stay safe, you stay happy, and that no matter what, you don't keep it 100, you keep it 1 million. And welcome back to the Millennials Millionaire Podcast. As always, this is your host, Paris Grant, coming to you with everything financial. And on today's episode, my featured guest is none other than Carl Allen. Carl is the founder of Dealmaker Wealth Society. He's an entrepreneur, a corporate dealmaker, and overall really awesome dude who has worked on more than 330 transactions worth close to $48 billion. 
He's advised some of the world's largest corporations, such as Bank of America and Hewlett Packard, on investments and acquisitions, and his career has made him one of the world's leading experts on buying and financing business acquisitions. So thank you so much, Carl, for uh, coming on the show. I'm sure my audience is going to love uh, everything that you have to share with us today. If that intro Thanks wasn't for having enough, me. <laughs> of course, of course. If that intro wasn't enough, why don't you tell my audience a little bit more about yourself and what it is that you do? Absolutely. So <clears throat> I'm um, nearly 50, so I'm 49. I've been buying and selling businesses now for 28 years. So I started my career back in 1992 on Wall Street. So I worked for an investment bank, buying and selling businesses for really large corporates like Microsoft, IBM, GE, Boeing, uh, etc. So I was doing all that for uh, lots and lots of years. Then I went to business school in Chicago, did an MBA. And then I ended up working at a corporate, uh, Hewlett Packard, buying and selling businesses for them. And so I was flying all over the world, doing deals, and kind of my life massively changed in, in 2008, so 12 years ago. I was working on a deal in, in Moscow, of all places, and, and I'm in the boardroom trying to close this deal, and my phone rings, and my wife went into labor four weeks early with, uh, with our son, Josh. So I had to... Uh, get myself out of Moscow really, really quickly, flew back to the UK and um, managed to arrive to witness the birth of my son with about 15 minutes to spare. So I'm cradling this little guy in my arms. Uh, I'd not been around that much for, uh, for the pregnancy, not being a kind of great husband and great dad, we've not been around. So I quit. I walked away from a million dollars of stock options and retired at 37. Um, I'd made, made a lot of money over the years but after about three weeks i couldn't hack not doing stuff so uh i went back into the market i became a business broker uh but the first business that i found to sell i actually ended up buying it so i bought it myself and then that sent me on the journey of buying and selling small businesses uh, effectively for me and i still do that today i'm a partner in a private equity firm in the states um, we own a number of small businesses in different sectors. And then four years ago, I started coaching uh, in this space as well. I, I was inundated with people wanting to learn um, you know, how to buy businesses and generate wealth and how to do it without investing your own money. So I started uh, teaching entrepreneurs how to do just that. And today we've got over 5,500 uh, students in all of our different training programs and systems. And um, yeah, we're, uh, we're having a lot of fun. So those are the two things that I do. I, I, I buy businesses and I teach people how to do it as well. That sounds really awesome. And I'm glad that you're transparent enough to kind of talk about, you know, you almost missing the birth of your child. Because yeah. I feel like when it comes to like entrepreneurship, there's like, you know, we have like that go-go 24-7, always got to hustle kind of attitude, which is cool. And, you know, when you're doing well, it's great but it is important to focus on the other aspects of your life. So I think that's really cool that you shared that. Uh, yeah, I really enjoy that. Um, but also kind of going off the whole, I guess, typical entrepreneurship path, you know, I think that I see a lot more people telling, um, you know, telling people who want to make a lot of money or people who want to not have be tied down to a job, like you got to start your own business. You got to start your own business. So what is it about buying and selling that is more attractive to you or that makes it more viable or feasible? Yeah, so start, starting a business 
is one of the worst things anyone could ever do in their lives. It, it, it's absolutely crazy. People that start a business, in my opinion, um, are just asking for trouble. And you know, look at the market data. There's over 6.6 .6 million Americans every single year, according to the SBA, start a new business from scratch 6.6 .6 million and 96 percent of those people will fail inside of a 10-year period 50 percent will fail inside of the first year alone and what's really interesting is if you look at the average salary of an entrepreneur that starts a business they're earning less than $20 an hour if you factor in all the time and all the work that they're putting in. And, and it's no wonder that these all these businesses fail because when you start a business from scratch, you don't have anything. There's just you, you have no customers, no products and services, you've got no employees, you've got no credit, you've got no cash flow, you've got no reputation, you don't have anything at all. Whereas if you go and buy an existing business that somebody else has built, doesn't want to own anymore they want to retire or they're burnt out or you know they've just had enough go and buy that business because it has everything inside of it that a startup business doesn't have it has cash flow so you're making money from day one it has employees that can do a lot of the work in the business um, that you don't have to do it has the customers and the products and the premises and the equipment and all the things that you need to run a successful business and my metaphor is like buying a car so um where i'm i'm stuck in the uk right now and we're a little bit uh behind the times we we've just uh, tesla's now in the uk so i've just ordered a tesla oh. uh I, I want a tesla car and i had two <laughs> options to own a tesla i could have gone online and bought all the components so bought the wheels and the glass and the battery and the dashboard and all the electrics and then gone on YouTube and figured out, you know, how the heck do I build this thing myself? How do I assemble all the pieces on the drive and how do I connect them in which order and make sure that it works? No, I didn't do that. That's like starting a business. I went to the Tesla dealership. I bought one that they built and I financed it using Tesla's money. So that's exactly the same metaphor in buying a business versus starting a business. Got it. Got it. Um, I mean, I'm obviously going to be asking you more questions about this, but do you think that there's a certain kind of person who should be, I guess, looking into buying and selling businesses? Or do you think that this is something that um, almost anyone could do as long as they know what they're doing as, as they're doing it? So there's, there's a couple of things that you need. So there's, there's, there's three, th there are three requirements in my opinion, H having done this for so long and, and having coached and mentored over 5,000 people. There's three traits that really kind of stick out to me. So the first one is you got to have a pretty dominant, you got a pretty strong mindset. And when I talk about mindset, all I'm talking about is your ability to follow through on the things in your life really stems from your why. And it really stems from your purpose. And people, you know, people, can have lots and lots of money and, and lots of other different successes, but don't necessarily make good deal makers because you need that burning desire inside of you, you know, to want something. And our, our purpose and our why can, can be very, very different. For some people, it's just wealth creation. For some people, it's pride. For some people, it, it's building a legacy. For some people, it's wanting a work-life balance so they can spend 
more time with their family. That that was my purpose. So when I started as a as a deal maker, doing deals for myself, uh, my dominant trait was it was all about having a work life balance, so I could spend more time with with my family and still make seven figures a year. Um, in later years, it's translated more to legacy. You know, the lives I'm changing, the kind of the environment that I'm creating globally with this movement. So that's what's driving me. So finding your kind of why and your mindset is, is trait number one. But the second trait is uh, the real kind of dominant skill that you need to master in deal making is relationships. It's a relationship business. Businesses at this level, we're talking half a million to $10 million in revenue businesses. At that level, it's a lot more about relationships and psychology than it is about the actual numbers. You know, when I was a Wall Street guy or a HP guy, and I was doing billion dollar deals every day, those deals are more about financial engineering. They don't have that psychological piece and that relationship piece. And, you know, doing a deal, your, your job's to be like the, the quarterback, you know, the coach of the team. You know, you, you, you've got to partner with CPAs. You've got to partner with uh, attorneys that, that can do a lot of that detailed, often boring transactional work. Um, you know, your, your job is to find these people, relationships with them and, and co-opt them into your deal-making team. And then the third trait, and this is just as important, is you've got to, ideally, when you're, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're buying your first business, stay in your lane. That's the best piece of advice I can give anybody that wants to become a business buyer. Stay in your lane, buy businesses in sectors that you know, you understand, you're passionate about, and you have value to add. So for example, let's say you're a web designer and you work for a web design firm. You know, go buy a web design business or go buy an IT services business. You know, Don't buy a manufacturing company or a hotel or a restaurant or a laundromat or a gas station. Buy something that you know something about because then it's a lot easier to build a relationship with a seller when you talk the same language. If your deal needs external financing, it's a lot easier to talk to investors and financiers uh, if you talk the same language. So definitely stay in your lane. So just to quickly recap, you've got to have a kind of purpose-driven mindset. You've got to have the ability to master building relationships. And really, you've got to be doing deals in areas that you know something about. Got it, got it. Okay. So if you have all those three, how do you know, um, like, what kind of criteria do you look for when deciding, like, what kind of business? Is it like, as long as it's something relevant, is that something like, okay, like, like I work in a bank, for instance, or so if I'm looking at, like, I guess, different businesses within the financial sector, is it kind of like anyone within the financial sector? Or is it like a certain kind of business that, uh, or like a certain kind of like checklist of things that a business has to yeah. have for you to want to buy it? Yeah, so, so that's a great question. And I'm gonna answer that at, by looking at it at three levels. So, so the first thing that you've got to look at is, it's what I call the, the, the perfect uh, deal-making triad. So there are three things that you ideally need to look for in any business. So the first one we've, we've talked about, which is buy a business in an area that you know something about you can add value to. And um, that, that's for your first deal. If you own a business already, you can buy other businesses that can complement the business that, that you already have. So buying a business that's relevant to you 
um, is really important. And that's going to be different for everybody. You know, deals that you would do are going to be very, very different than deals that I would do. Secondly, then, is it's all about the seller. So you're looking for what I call a distressed seller of a good business. So you're looking for someone that's motivated to want to sell their business. There's over 2.4 million businesses for sale today in the United States, and only one in 11 is going to sell within the next 12 months. So it's definitely a buyer's market, but what you're looking for is somebody that's built a business and is desperate to sell. Not because it's a bad business. We don't buy bad businesses. We only buy good businesses. But then we're looking for what's going on in the psychology of the seller. So we're looking for someone that has got that motivation. They might want to retire. So 10,000 baby boomers are retiring every single day in the United States and tons of them own small businesses. So that could be one reason. They could just be tired or burnt out or frustrated or they've run out of ideas. They could be sick. Uh, they could be dying in some cases, sadly. So it's finding a seller that, that really wants to sell because every business is for sale. It's just a matter of how much the buyer is willing to pay. So we're looking for that motivated seller. And then the third point is we're looking for deals that have got some financial strengths some financial characteristics to allow us to buy it using other people's money. And the, the technical Wall Street term for it is called an LBO, a leveraged buyer. And all that means is we're buying a business using other people's money. Wall Street guys do it all the time. I used to do it all the time when I worked there. You're, you're essentially finding a great business and it's gonna be profitable, it's gonna have some assets on the balance sheet potentially that you can leverage like loads of cash in the business buildings loads of other assets and that gives you the ability to go into the market and raise financing to be able to buy it because all that stuff acts as great collateral but one of the most common ways of paying for a business is actually paying for it over time it's like leasing to buy it and that's called seller financing so you buy a business the seller's desperate to leave the seller is comfortable with that kind of monthly paycheck that they're, that they're taking out but obviously they don't want to go into the business anymore but they still need the money you can buy that business and then pay the seller over time using those future profits those future cash flows of the business so just to recap you're looking for deals in areas that you know and you understand finding the right seller, that motivated seller of a good business, and then a business that's profitable and has got the ability to generate some financing. And then the, the kind of third level to all this is when you're, um, when you're in the deal, and you so let's say you found a business, you've negotiated a price, you then go through a period called due diligence, which is making sure that the business is really safe to buy, it's everything that the seller's telling you is true, it's got great potential, got great prospects. And that piece of work, uh, you typically, you don't do that. You typically hand that off to a CPA or an accountant who will go through the numbers and go through the business and that the lawyer also gets involved. They go through all the legal documents and make sure that it's a risk-free purchase for you to make. And, and the, 
those characteristics are kind of more like guiding principles because um, you know the type of business that I would buy is going to be very, very different to the type of business you would buy and it's very different to the type of business any of your listeners would buy. But those are the things that you need to look for in any deal that you pursue. Got it, got it. Uh, my next question, something I think I might have should have asked in the beginning, but I mean, there's no bad time to ask. When you buy a business, how does the compensation work? Like, are you taking like the profits after you've paid for everything else, your employees and everything like that? And if so, do you recommend like saving? Like, how would you recommend handling the portion of money that you're actually like getting in when you're buy- like in the business of buying and selling businesses? Does yeah. that make sense? So, yeah, so, so there's three ways actually you can make money from buying businesses. So the first way is going back to the example I shared before, if uh, if you're able to raise more capital to buy that business than what the seller needs as a closing payment, so the money that they receive from you um, on, on the day of closing. So let, let's say you find a business um, and you're, it's, it's worth a million dollars. You're paying a million dollars for this business. Mm-hmm. And let's say you agree a deal where you're gonna pay half a million dollars at closing and then half a million dollars in future payments, that seller financing payments over time. But you take the assets, you take the cash flows, and you go to a financier and they say, okay, we're gonna give you $600,000 in financing to do this deal. Then you've only got to pay $500,000 to the seller at closing, you got $100,000 left. You might, you'll have some uh, some closing costs, let's say there, I don't know, it's $25,000. So you just made $75,000 at closing. So you can take that out as like a deal fee if you want, or you can keep it in the business and use it as as working capital to grow. It's completely up to you. But then the second way you make money to your your point in your question is, let's say that business is making $100,000 a month and it's costing you $50,000 a month to uh to pay for the deal and 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 pay any other costs so that fifty thousand dollars a month then it's your money because you're the owner and again you can leave it in the business reinvest it grow even faster make more money or you can take it out it's completely up to you and then the third way that you make money from doing these deals and this is really where the big payday is is when you buy a business you grow it and then you sell it that's when you can make the really big payday and it's similar to buying a property um, at a discounted price, renovating it, and then selling it, whether it's three months later or three years later, it's completely up to you. The value will have increased. So any monies that you make at closing, subject to monies that you still got to pay for the business, that's all your profit. But considering you're not buying that business using any of your own money, your returns are technically infinite. Hmm. All right. Okay. That sounds, that sounds like a pretty good proposition. Yeah. And, and there's, lo- there's loads of kind of tricks and hacks to take your money out of those deals, you know, kind of tax efficiently. Uh, changes industry to industry and state to state, country to country. So uh, I won't give any general, you know, tax advice, but uh, there's lots of different ways of setting these things up with either doing it as an LLC or an S Corp or if you're in, in the UK. Um, LLP versus limited company structure. Um, what you do as part of the process, and we'll, we'll give your listeners some free training at the end, is um, once you've found the deal and you've, you've kind of shook hands on it, 
then we advise you go and um, and hire a, a lawyer and a CPA that can kind of guide you through um, the ins and outs of, of doing it in the right way. Okay. So, I mean, you've been doing this for a pretty long time. I mean, that's I an, understatement, <laughs> an, an understatement. Uh, <laughs> so, what have what's been, I guess, your I guess your best deal and your worst deal? Um. So. That's a really, really good question. I've never been asked that before. And obviously I've done some phenomenal deals when I was a Wall Street guy. You know, the largest deal I've ever done was nearly $14 million, um, which, which was a massive transaction for, uh, for HP. But, but actually the, the best deal and the worst deal that I've ever done uh, are the same. <laughs> um, and this is one of the largest businesses I've ever bought uh, as an individual. So I bought a company that was doing nearly $20 million in revenues, and it was generating um, about $2.5 million in free cash flow. So massive, massive business. Bought it with a partner without a single dollar of my own money. Um, so we did the deal. And I remember we, we were in the hotel. So we closed the deal the night before. We'd been out for drinks with the team, and then we were going into the business the next day um, to kind of meet all the employees for the first time and kind of get to work. And I remember we was my, my business partner Simon and I were sat in the lobby of the hotel about a mile from the office, and you know we logged into the bank because you know we now own the business, we had banking access, and uh, you know there were tons and tons of surplus cash in the business that uh, we'd inherited. That, that you know the business didn't really need to trade. So I, I remember withdrawing that money and taking it out and paying ourselves, you know, a couple of hundred grand each. It was a pretty awesome feeling. And uh, we owned that business. We 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 grew it. Uh, we owned it for about two and a half years. Phenomenal business. And um, and we got an offer to sell it. Uh, we got an offer to sell it. It was nearly ten million dollars to sell that business. And we turned it down. Um, we thought we could double the size of the business even more and sell it for 20, 25 million. That was our goal. And um, we, uh, we were just kind of crushing it. He and I didn't, my partner and I, we didn't work in the business. You know, we had a management team and I probably went there once a week for a couple of hours just to kind of check in on the business. Because there's a misconception if you do deals that you have to go in and run those businesses. You don't. You know, I own tons of businesses and I, I don't work in any of them. Um, I have management teams that, that run those businesses for me, even really, really small businesses that I own. So we grew that business and everything was great. We turned that offer down. Um, I think it was ego uh, more than anything. And then three weeks later, our largest customer pulled the plug on us. They were 40% of our revenues, but 90% of our profits. Uh, they pulled the plug on us and we ended up selling that business for a dollar. Um, just to get out, um, you know, we'd, we'd made seven figures plus um, as owners of that business. It was a great deal from a financial perspective. We, we didn't put any money into that deal. Um, we didn't obviously had no risk or any personal guarantees on that deal. So we completely walked away. But we, we'd gone from um, <laughs> you know, getting a $10 million check to three weeks later uh, getting a dollar check. So. Um, that was uh, that. That's my best deal and my worst deal because uh, I could have made ten million dollars, but I turned it down. Always be a seller. If somebody comes in with a good offer, you should sell and then go again. Sell, bank the money, and then go and do more deals. Fair enough. That makes sense, actually. If you know you can do it, might as well. So, 
I mean, uh, so you said, I mean, I'm reading here that you said that growing through acquisition is better than organically growing your business. What do you mean by that and why? Yeah, so, so if you own a business right now, no matter what it is, doesn't matter what sector you're in, then there are, there are really only two ways you can grow that business. You can grow organically. So growing as you are right now, hustling, growing customer by customer, generating more products, generating more offers, generating more traffic, generating more customer conversions. Uh, that's what most people do. They grow their business like that. And let's say you started a business five years ago and now it's doing a million dollars a year in, in revenues, it might take you another two or three years to get to two million. Whereas if you go out and you buy another company that's complementary to what you do, and you plug it in, you integrate it into the business you already have, you can double your sales in your business in as little as 30 days. So not three years, you can do it in 30 days or 60 days, depending on how long it takes you to do a deal. So let's imagine for a second, um, you have a landscaping company. So you have a big landscaping gardening business and you're doing a million dollars a year. So you're, you're doing people's lots and yards, corporates and, and consumers. And let's say you go out, you buy a hardscaping company. So people laying patios and, and concreting and driveways and all that stuff. So you can do that deal in 30, 60 days, not using your own money, using other people's money. And you can effectively double the size of your existing business by connecting in um, something that's complementary to what you do. You could be a plumbing contractor and go and buy a, uh, an electrical company or another type of construction company. You, you could be a software company and go and buy other software companies or go buy service companies or, or something like that. You could be a web designer um, company, go and buy an SEO firm or a Facebook ad agency or some other general marketing type agency. So, um, and that's what the big guys do. That's what HP and Apple and Facebook and IBM and Cisco and all these big companies, they grow by acquisition. And again, they use other people's money in a lot of cases. So uh, it's a great way to really shortcut the time it takes to grow an existing business. Got it, got it. Um, I mean, I was just curious actually, but does your credit score matter when you're first starting out buying and selling businesses if you're trying to look to get finances, financing? No, it doesn't unless, unless you're going down the SBA route. So, so there's, there's, three, there's three ways you can raise capital to do deals. So the first one is you can use the business as the, the, the kind of credit you will so so you're not borrowing the money in most cases the business is borrowing the money because the business has the assets and the reputation uh, that banks and other lenders are going to look to for securitizing the money right so you're looking for um, assets like accounts receivables and inventory and fixed uh, fixed assets you're looking for real estate those are hard assets that lenders will look at as security for the money that they're going to give you to do the deal. Um, the other is investors. So you can go to angel investors who, rather than loaning you money uh, that you've got to pay back, will buy shares in your business, like as your partner. So let's say you find a deal um, and you need you know, half a million dollars to close it and it doesn't have any assets you can leverage. You can go partner with an investor 
they'll give you the money and then you can own the business 50 50. Um, uh, you know, they're providing the money, they're providing the risk and, and you're doing the deal and obviously, um, you know, being the person responsible for, for growing that business. The, the other method of financing, and it really is kind of rocket fuel, but it comes with some issues, is the SBA. So the SBA is the Small Business Administration. So it's a federal government agency. Uh, and that's essentially the federal government underwriting loans that come from normal banks. So if you're Chase or Wachovia or, um, or, or any of the big banks, they pledge money to deals up to $5 million for you to buy a business. Um, and it's underwritten by the, the federal government. There's two requirements for those. Um, one is you need around 10% of the purchase price with, with your own funds, or if you don't have any, you've got a partner again with an investor that, that can bring that money to the table. And you have to have a decent credit score of around 690 plus, uh, because that's the only instance where you, as the buyer, are borrowing the money. The business isn't borrowing the money because he doesn't have any assets or, or, or any of those things. So uh, so that's the only requirement where you would, uh, your own personal credit score would be uh, would be taken into account and in a lot of those cases uh, the SBA would look to you to sign a personal guarantee on that financing as well when you're using the business to do the deal the business to raise the capital using its assets and its own cash flows then uh, you don't it's the business's credit score that's most important because the business is borrowing the money not you as the buyer got it got it so I mean I guess taking it in reverse we've talked a lot about buying businesses but when it comes time to sell, what's some of the criteria that you should be looking for in a buyer? Yeah, so when you're selling a business, um, then really you've got you've got three options when it comes to selling. So you can either sell to a competitor. You can either, so that's somebody that's doing exactly what you're doing. You can sell to um, like an investment company or you can sell to an individual. And, and a lot of it comes down to, you know, what you actually want. If you want the maximum amount of money um, for your business, then a trade buyer, a competitor is always gonna pay more because in the examples I mentioned before, they've got a lot more leverage. They can cross sell the products and services between their customers and, and bring those businesses together and, and save money. So if you're a software company and you sell to an IT services company, the IT services company can sell its services to your software customers and vice versa. And as you bring those two businesses together, there's tons and tons of duplicate costs that can come out. So that's why trade buyers or competitors can pay a lot more money to buy a business because they've got a lot more leverage. They've got a lot more synergies. But in a lot of cases, when that happens, the business that's sold tends to get kind of ripped apart. Uh, it's asset stripped, as we call it. And for a lot of sellers, about 79% of them actually um, don't want that. They want a safe, trusted pair of hands to take the business on. Because if you think about most people that sell a business, that they've spent more time in that business over the last 10, 20, 30 years, however long they've had it, they've spent more time in that business than they have with their own family. So they want it to go to uh, a good place. They want it to go to a safe place, somebody that's going to probably keep the name, keep the brand and, and trade it in the way that it was meant to be traded, safeguard the employees, look after the customers and, and just respect the legacy 
of the seller and, and, and the business and the culture that they built. And those sellers will, will, will take less money um, because they, they put a value to seeing their business continue to thrive in uh, the environment that, that it currently is. And then private equity kind of gives you a hybrid. You can sell to a, a private equity group, an investment group, um, where they'll, they'll probably buy the majority of your business to give you an exit, a liquidity event. Um, but as the seller, you're gonna still be tied into that business for a number of years until the investor gets some sort of return. Um, so depending on what you want, uh, those are the three options. And then one of the biggest challenges that most sellers face when they come to sell a business, and this is why most businesses don't sell, is because uh, it's not really a business. It, it's the, the owner really just has a job in their own business. It's not systematized. It's not optimized to work without the seller. If, if you own a business right and the business doesn't work if you're not in it, no one's going to buy it. No one's going to buy it. Um, you, you need, as the owner of a business, you need to work on your business, not in your business. It needs to be able to work without you. It needs to have a management team and employees. It needs to have infrastructure. It needs to have processes. So that as the owner, if you're not in that business, but it still works without you being inside of it, then you can sell it. Uh, and that's the biggest mistake most owners make. They don't do the work to separate themselves from the business so that it's valuable to somebody else if they buy it. Got it, that's understandable. So my next question, it's kind of a two-part question and you answered part of it in the beginning of the show when you talked about your why and your purpose, but how do you keep yourself motivated and what's and what has kind of like, I guess, inspired you to be doing this for so long and like continue being so passionate about it? Like. Was there anybody that you saw doing this that you said, okay, like, I really want to be like that? Like, what got you on this path and really made you, like, fall in love with it? And what continues to keep you in love with it? Yeah, that's a really, really, really good question. Um, so, kind of a couple of things with that. I'll, I'll, I'll just quickly recap what I talked about at the start. So, what, what makes the difference for me in successful deal makers is... They, they have that purpose, they, they, they have that why. Um, it, it could be that they don't spend enough time with their family, it could be that they're not making enough money, it's that you know they're not feeling fulfilled with what they're doing right now. They could be trapped in a, in a cubicle working 60 hours a week for somebody else and you know they want to own their own business, they, they want to be an employer and an employee but quite rightly, they don't want to go through the pain and risk of starting a business. They just want to buy one in a box that works. They can go and operate and own. So it, it's what what's going to give people the fuel to follow through and keep going is, is the depth of that emotional pill to want to change their life. Um, you know, and I've, I've seen all different types of people that, that had, I mean, literally no money. They, had, they didn't even have the money to, to pay for food. Uh, and were so desperate to get into a completely different life of freedom and wealth, um, they'll just do whatever it takes. It's like, you know, if I, if I kidnapped your family and held them at gunpoint, and I said to you, you you've got 30 days to close a deal, otherwise I, you know, you're never gonna see your family again, 
uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to close multiple deals. And and it's all it's a bad example, but it's all about having that that fuel to take you forward. And I think you know from my side, I I was that guy um, 12 years ago. Obviously, I I'd, I'd learned my trade on Wall Street doing corporate deals, so I knew mechanically how these deals worked. Uh, I knew that you could buy businesses without spending your own money. I knew it was all about building relationships and, and really finding the right deal for me versus the wrong deal. But then once I started doing deals and I got myself to a place where I was kind of financially free, then it wasn't about wealth creation. Um, my kind of, my focus shift more towards my, my, my legacy. And what I was doing was really, there's, there's, there's two massive problems right now um, in this world, especially in the US. There's two massive problems. The first one is you've got nearly 7 million Americans every year starting a business and most of them fail. And the amount of money and stress and illness, um, you know, I, I've known people commit suicide when their businesses have failed uh, because they've put everything they owned into that business as a startup and it just didn't work and, and most of them don't. So it's solving that problem linked to the other problem of you've got all these businesses for sale over 2.4 million in the United States and it's going up every single day and there's just not enough buyers that A, know how to buy a business and B, know how to finance and structure a deal. So m most people try and buy a business and they, they, they don't know what to do and they don't have access to the money. Uh, those are the two biggest problems. So what I'm trying to do is, uh, and I am doing it, is solving that problem by connecting buyers and sellers together with all of the skills, all of the tools, and all of the resources to make them successful. And that's what drives me today. You know, I, I never have to work another day in my life, but this is what fuels me. My, my, my wealth creation side of my life comes from my investment fund because I'm doing deals all the time. So that's building the wealth and the cash flows for me to do what I do. And I give a lot of that money to charity and support a lot of different people. But the real fuel inside of me is changing these lives. I've seen so many people escape to a life of freedom and wealth creation and legacy. Um, and every single day I hear about another student that's closed the deal and is just living their very best life. That every single day keeps driving me to uh, continue this movement. Yeah, that's awesome. So I have one more question left for you, but before I ask that question, as far as buying and selling businesses goes, is there anything that I haven't asked about or anything that you'd want to talk more about? Um, I think you've nailed it, brother. I think you've, um, this has been awesome. I, I, <laughs> I, I think you've, you've really kind of, you know, we've gone really deep in some areas. I think we've, we've covered, you know, a lot of different things. What, what, what I would say to kind of wrap then is, is, is kind of two things. You know, one, one is, it, it's really a game of relationships and psychology. You know, you can have two completely identical businesses they're doing the same thing, they're in the same place, they've got the same employees, got the same financial statements, everything's the same. Those two businesses can be worth completely different amounts of money. And it all comes down to the seller and the psychology of the seller. You can have a young seller that's crushing it, having a lot of fun, doesn't really want to sell, but a big offer will tempt that person versus a seller that 
maybe wants to retire or is burnt out, frustrated, you know, just ready to throw in the towel. Those deals can look completely different, night and day. So it's all about finding that right seller, that seller that's really, really motivated and is done with being in their business, even though it's a really profitable business. So that that's really, really important. And, and I think for, for someone that wants to get into this, you know, this isn't for everybody, uh, but for people that want to get into this, it's all about finding your burning desire, finding that kind of fire in your belly, that spark in your heart that, that makes you want to live a different life. You know, this is one of the most exciting, fulfilling, rewarding things you can do in life. I'm very fortunate that um, I got into this, you know, back in 1992, learned how to do it, um, was very successful at it and then became, um, you know, a mentor and an inspiration to people that, you know, that wanted to change what they did. Um, whether they own a business already and want to grow faster, whether they're stuck in a corporate situation um, and they want to get out, whether they're, you know, just poor and hungry um, and want to make money and, and, and make a difference. Uh, doesn't matter who you are, this is a great vehicle, um, you know, to, to achieve some amazing things in your life. It's awesome. I mean, I do want to say that, I mean, your story, your transparency, the fact that you reach financial freedom and still continue to want to help people like and you have this like purpose driven passion. I think that's yeah. awesome. And you're exactly the kind of person that I want to have on the show. And this is a question that I always ask at the end of the show. You know, needless to say, like I said, you've done you've done amazing things. You you've worked on over 330 deals with close to 48 billion dollars these are not baby numbers no. if we're taking away everything that has to do with buying and selling businesses we're taking everything away that has to do with coaching and we're just focusing on you as carl allen you as a person what would be like three principles three quotes three kind of like mindsets that you have for yourself that you think have carried you this far sure so never stop so number one never stop learning i i read at least two hours a day never stop learning never stop improving um so that's the first thing the second thing is you know don't ever settle don't let anybody ever tell you you can't do something the only reason someone's going to tell you you can't do something is because they can't do it um, all you need are skills and tools and resources and all those things are widely available all over the world so you know if you want to change yourself you want to do something better you want to be the very, very best version of yourself, just do it. You know, you can have results or excuses. You know, you you, you can't have both. And and then the third point is, and you, you touched on this right at the start, uh, and I, I didn't um, didn't answer, I was gonna say this till the end, is um, life's not all about money and success. Um, you've got to have a balance. Uh, I call it the wheel of life. You know, look at the things in your life that are really important to you, your health, your family, your relationships, you know, your um, your influence on your community, you know, all those different things. And, and, you know, have some balance in your life. You don't need to work 100 hours a week, you know, to be successful in anything, let alone this. You know, I, I, I probably work 15, 20 hours a week and I, I, I have tons and tons and tons of businesses. and mentor over 5,500 entrepreneurs that are doing what I do. So, you know, have a great balance, um, you know, and do the things that you love and do the things that are important to you. That's awesome. 
So where can my audience hear more about you, learn more, get connected with you, all of that? Sure. So I've got some free training oh. for your audience. Um, so for anyone that's curious about this, about what does this take to be successful um, as an introductory, you know, we, we normally charge for this, but we've, um, you know, we've kind of waived it so people can can go in and, and, and just have a look with some free training. If they go to trainwithcarl.com forward slash millennial, that's double L double N, they uh, they can download um, my, my blueprint, my, my business buying blueprint, the 10 steps to buy a business that you love without using your own money. Uh, they can go. They can go through that. It will give them um, lots of foundational uh, strategies and some tools. And then for people that are really kind of interested in this and really want to go further, then we we have a range of coaching programs and mentoring systems that they can uh, subscribe to uh, if they want. But uh, first step is go through that free training and um, see if this is something that um, you're going to be very interested in in the next phase of your career and your life. Got it, got it. Any uh, uh, any links to your social media or anything like that? Yeah, so we uh, so Dealmaker Well Society, um, we, we have a YouTube channel, so I'm always recording um, videos and tips and tricks and strategies. So there's hundreds and hundreds of uh, videos on there of me. Most of them are in my um, my my, uh, my garden in my uh, my English estate that I own. Um, so you'll you'll see me. You'll see all the dogs running around whilst I'm doing these videos, which is quite funny. And then yeah, Dealmaker World Society. We have uh, we have a, a Facebook um, page. There's a free Facebook group that people can join. And uh, there's people in there, in all levels of my program. There's, there's there's people that are just there and they're curious. And then some of my very very best deal making students are in there as well that have done tons and tons and tons of deals and made millions of dollars uh, over the past few years. So um, so yeah, I, I encourage people to um, if they want come uh, come check us out and uh, and join the community. And all those links will be inside the bio, so you guys can go click that up. Uh, yeah, and please do because he's got a lot of resources, a lot of information to share. Was there anything else you wanted to cover before we finish this off? No, I think it was great. I really enjoyed being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. My name is Paris Grant. This is the Millennial to Billionaire podcast. And here we do not keep it 100. We keep it 1 million. Beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome.